Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. grabbing your seat, please grab your Bible, uh, turn to Acts 27, Acts 27, it's page 880, if you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, if you forgot your Bible today, uh, as we say around here, we're big about the Bible, and uh, we're going to be going through this chapter and taking a look at the uh, idea of a people living by faith, a people living by faith. Uh, you, you all look like it's been a holiday week. Um, <laughs> in that unique place of, of tiredness from holiday, and man, it's December 1st. How crazy is that? But bring it on, bring it on, here we go. Um, I hope the picture on the center screen of the roller coaster after a week of feasting doesn't make you feel a little bit nauseous um, with everything, but I think the picture of a roller coaster really kind of embraces a number of the aspects of what it means to be a people that are living by faith. It is a reality in it, and um, there's a number of statements that actually talk about life and roller coasters. Here's a couple of them. The first one is this, just close your eyes and enjoy the roller coaster that is life. You know, I read that, and it's like, okay, I kind of get you, but it's also a bit hopeless, almost a sense a bit fatalistic in it in some ways. Hey, here's a second one. I like this one a little bit better. Uh, life is a roller coaster. It has its ups and downs. Yeah, it does. Uh, but it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. Um, you know, life does have choices to it, and oftentimes we find ourselves screaming, and oftentimes we find ourselves enjoying the ride. I do have to say, though, that the statements like that kind of cast me back to the idea. I'm like, those are statements Forrest Gump would make. You know, sitting on a, a park bench, waiting at the bus uh, with his chocolates on his lap. And I could just hear either one of these statements kind of coming out in the tone and the manner that he would say it. And, and being that last Sunday we talked about being a people of theological clarity, I'm not so sure those have a lot of theological clarity in them. So I think we can do a bit better. And being that today is about being a people living by faith, Um, I'd like to go with a a different statement and put that up, and that is this. Some of you here from this church have heard this before. Faith is believing the Word of God. By the way, believing the Word of God is dependent upon believing in the person of God, if I can say it that way. Faith is believing the Word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. By the way, on that result, let God define the result and what's good. It's not our place to define it. And also, the fact of the matter is, is we may not even know what that result is until we see him face to face one day. But you say it with me, would you? Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it, no, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Well, we're going to be kind of leaning into that uh, statement a bit today in our text. Um, God does sovereignly allow steep climbs 
and free falls and G-force turns. Um, and that even includes sometimes uh, having upside down turns of life that turn us inside out. And uh, I don't know where you're at right now. Maybe you come here this morning and you're really at a place where it's like, you know what, I- I'm in totally in one of those right now. Maybe this morning you're coming here and it's been like, you know, I've just come out of one of those. Or maybe it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm right now I'm on the straightaway and I can see one right ahead and I'm about to enter into it. Or maybe you're at a place, seriously, maybe you're at a place where it's just like, you know what, I just want this whole ride to stop. I don't know where you're at, but I will tell you that uh, we are all growing in our understanding and our action of what it is to live by faith. So you are not alone in the challenge of it, and I think we will be seeing that today. So we want to be a people living by faith, believing in the Word of God and the person of God, and acting upon that no matter how we feel, even when we doubt at times, knowing that God promises a good result. Take a gander at the side screens. You'll see two uh, yellow dots. You see those two yellow dots? I remember back in math class, in fact, I can totally see it. I was in uh, seventh grade. I can see the class. I can see the window. I can see the teacher. I can see my classmates in class. And I remember uh, taking math. I enjoyed math. I enjoyed geography. And I remember being told that uh, in class that the quickest way from, from one point to another point is by a straight line. Uh, that's the quickest way to get there. Man, I want life to be like that. You too? Ah, um, but life just doesn't seem to be working out that way. Uh, I will tell you, I, I would just like, I would prefer it if like, let's just like get in a dragster and let's just like all pile in and let's just like hit the throttle and let's just gas it until the end and cross the finish line and boom, with the Lord forever. Uh, you know, I, I thought for a long time, I was like, you know, maybe Lord, not yet. Maybe like, I'd kind of like to, if it was, you know, if you'd have it, that I might get married someday, that'd be cool. And then it's kind of like, you know, maybe someday when you have kids, uh, that might be kind of cool. And then it's like, I'd love to see our kids come to the Lord, that'd be okay. And then, uh, and then it's kind of like, you know, I'd like to see our kids, if the Lord would have it, for them to get married and marry uh, believers in Christ. That would be super cool. And then it's like, you know, but then Lord, I'd like to be able to have grandkids. And so I have three grandsons. And then we have a granddaughter. And I'm like, it's done. Let's just go. <laughs> this is, it's, it's been good. It's been good. Um, life doesn't work that way. Life is a roller coaster. In fact, life is more like a wild roller coaster than a drag run. In fact, it reminds me 25 years ago, speaking of our kids, we went to Disney World and uh, there's this ride uh, that we looked at and we thought, oh, that looks kind of fun. The kids are really small at that time. We thought, oh, maybe we should do that. You know, it's got Mr. Toad. I mean, how fun is a toad on that? You know, and it's, it's like, so we get in Mr. Toad's wild, wild ride. And, and so we get in it, and, and it's kind of like, you know, it's going to be awesome. There's toads and fun things. And, and then after we got out, we was like, wait a second. This was a wild ride. And um, we got done with that ride, and we got a lot more than we bargained for. Because there I am, so I don't remember if I was by Emily or Luke, and we're, Karen's by the other, and we're sitting, we get done, and, and the kids are kind of like, ah! And we're kind of like, oh my word, why didn't they put a warning <laughs> for little kids? In fact, after the first service, our daughter was here, and she comes up into my office, and she tells me, she says, actually, I don't remember that ride, but I remember uh, the ride at Kings Island, um, the racer. 
when uh, Emily didn't like uh, roller coasters, and I'm studying this, I'm looking at because I didn't want to do that again. I already had a wild toad experience. And uh, so we're looking at this, I'm like, you can do it, girl, you can do it. And so she gets on, and we're like, okay, okay. And she total faith in me. That was a mistake. <laughs> because it was like halfway up the and I'm like, oh, crud. This is higher and faster than I thought. And I'm like, I just grab her hand and I'm sitting there and I'm not saying a word because I know that she's not going to talk to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> and it was like, bah! and quiet from her to me the rest of the day. Hey, life is a wild ride. And by the way, uh, you're not alone. Uh, Noah, you think of Noah, I mean, here's Noah going along and God's like, hey, I got a wild ride for you and totally changed his life. And then I think of Job, my goodness, Job, uh, one of the most godly men on all the earth, uh, Job chapter one, and a wealthy uh, uh, empire that he has, and, and yet God just in his sovereignty, in chapter one again of Job, allows this destruction to take place. Abraham and Sarah, there was no simple run. God said, I'm gonna raise a nation, and for 25 years they're without a child. Like, at what point in time are you going, what, God? Moses, he's just out walking, 80 years old, out walking his sheep. And God's like, got a plan for you, my friend. Uh, but I don't want a plan. <laughs> uh, got one for you. Esther, Joseph, and Mary. Wow, what a wild ride for them. The apostles, Stephen, and today, Paul. So we're in Acts 27. And uh, here's the short and simple of this whole chapter. It could have been a straight line. And if I were God, it would have been a straight line. But it wasn't. In fact, look at verse 1 in chapter 27, and you find out that, as we'll read here in just a minute, you find out that Paul's boat in Caesarea uh, begins a 2,000-mile course run to Rome. You look at verse 44 in chapter 28, verse 1, you find out at the end of the chapter they end up in Malta. Uh, they've gone about 1,600 miles, 500 miles left to go. And you kind of think, oh, straight run. But just gander at verse 25 in the middle of the text. Paul says this, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Why would he need to say that? Because I'm going to tell you, it was not a straight run. We're going to take a look at the text. I'd actually thought about just summarizing the text, and then I was reading this week, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, Bruce, he said this. He said, uh, Acts 27 is one of the most vivid pieces of descriptive narrative in the whole book, or indeed the whole New Testament. So I thought, hey, if it's that vivid, I love narrative, we're going to read it. We're going to read it. So we're going to go there. Let me pick up. Chapter 27, verse 1, we'll go to verse 21, kind of hold there, a couple stops on the way. Uh, let's go. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, by the way, the we would likely include, uh, just by thinking out loud, would include Luke in this, the human author of the book. Uh, when we should sail for Italy, for Rome, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion, this is while they're in Caesarea, of the Augustine cohort uh, named Julius and embarking on a ship of uh, Adramitium, that's a city, in other words, that's where it came from, um, which was about to sail to the ports along the east coast or along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, verse 3. 
The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly. How cool is that? The favor of God on this leader. And uh, gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. In other words, they had a stop. You've got to understand these stops are complicated. They're getting things changed in and out, food and the cargo and so forth. So oftentimes they're, they're there for a couple days. So he's like, listen, I'll allow you to go see some of your friends and then come back on this. Um, verse 4, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us aboard. Know this, uh, we're used to kind of having uh, easy, uh, all connected, known to the end uh, uh, connection points. In other words, we're going to Rome, so it's like from Caesarea to uh, uh, wherever, to say Ephesus, to Rome. And, and it's like, boom, boom, I got my ticket. That's what it says. That wasn't the case in that day. Oftentimes, you would just go from one port to the next port and have to figure out uh, what ship might be going further to the next port. It wasn't like everybody was on a perfect timeline. Remember, it's on the seas. They, they didn't have a schedules with motorized boats like we do. I mean, everything was dependent upon what was going, so they're having to figure this out. It's far more complicated than we realize. Verse 6, there the centurion found a ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snittis. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete from off Siloam, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage had now, was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be uh, with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. Frankly, I probably would have too if I was a centurion in that. Although, know this, Paul had crazy amount of sea experience. Although he was not a professional sailor, he did not own the boat, but yet he spoke in the, uh, verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Let me just comment on that. <laughs> You're on a boat. And so they get the crew together and, and the lead and the boat owner together, and they're like, let's take a vote. We could go, and we, we think, let's go from the text, and, and there is a chance that somehow we might make it. I would be in the background like, no, no. I'm telling these people were bruisers back there. There's like, there's, a, there's somehow a chance we'll make it. Let's do it. Wow. Keep going. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, sailed along Crete close to the shore, but soon a temptuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, after hoisting it up, 
they used supports to undergird the ship, then fearing that they would run aground uh, on the Citrus, on the, I'm sorry, uh, Certus, uh, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Uh, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Uh, imagine that. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempt, tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, let's just hold there with a couple comments on this. So the Lord has, tell, has told Paul in Acts 23 verse 11 that he's sending him to Rome to testify to Caesar and all there there about the facts of the Lord. Hey, would you not think that would be a good reason for God just to straight line them there? I mean, here's my question on the table. Why is this trip for Paul and the others who are on this? By the way, we're going to find out here in a little bit. There are a lot of others. Don't be thinking that there's Paul and like five others, okay? There's a whole boatload of people on these things. Why is it that when God said this is what's going to be done, why is it so hard why is it so complicated? In fact, let me show you out of the text. Uh, verse 4, uh, there are winds against them. Verse 7, slow sailing and difficulty. Verse 8, more difficulty. Verse 9, danger. Verse 10, possible injury and loss. Verse 14, temptuous winds. Verse 16, more difficulty. Verse 17, fear of running aground. Verse 18, violently tossed around. Verse 20, days of ugly weather without sun or stars and all the hope of survival gone. Verse 21, they're without food for a long period of time. By the way, that's not because food was not available, because we're going to find out in a bit, they throw food overboard, but it's most likely either because of seasickness or anxiety, or it was just impossible to prepare because you're just trying to stay alive. And I step back from this, and I just look at this, and I go, two things. Number one, this is why cruises are really bad ideas. <laughs> Okay, I'm not a cruise guy. God bless all of you who are. May the Lord have favor upon you, but I'm staying in the air on the ground, not out there. Seriously, though, here's the question. Why? If God's will told is for Paul to get to Rome to declare the gospel to Caesar... I mean, like the leader of the known universe. Why doesn't Paul, why doesn't God just straight line it? I mean, if I were God, if I were God, I would have Paul get in the boat and I would be like, and it would be like all of a sudden they're in the boat coming off shore and even the sailors and the captain are like, whoa, we got the perfect wind, straight line to Rome but that's not at all what God allows. And you may say, well, but all of this, this is Satan doing this. By the way, if that's the case, how do you know that? And I would also encourage you to consider to go to Job chapter one and take a look at even Satan is under God's sovereign hand. Uh, that's not even the issue here. 
The issue is, is so why didn't he just straight line them there? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why did God do that? Like, why doesn't God do that? Why, God, are you allowing this? God, why don't you? Those are really good questions. I want to make an observation here, and I'm just going to kind of leave it, because know this, today is not the kind of day where you're going to be leaving with three steps on what to do. I'm pushing your mind today, okay? And one of the things I've observed over the years is that oftentimes people get in, everybody gets into these questions, but I'm going to say I think most people don't actually get very deep into them. I really don't think most people are willing to dig in and dive in and wrestle these through. I think it's just people kind of dive in and get angry at God and shut him out. So well, hold on here. Hold on here. How about wrestling with the Lord in this? I want us to wrestle with the Lord in some of this and with that. Um, those who often think that they've answered the question, I don't think they really have answered the question. They're not willing to go there. I want us to go there. Let's keep digging in order to do that. Let's read the latter half of the chapter, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Just, there's a number of ways you could spend some time on that. I'm just going to say this. It is interesting to me that Paul even said that. And yet in it all, Paul still, I think, says it in a kind of a way where he understands that, okay, they didn't listen to me in this. God is a sovereign God and faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel knowing that God promises a good result. So he makes that statement and then he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. How cool is that? I wish you would have heard from, I wish you would have listened to me earlier, but hey, I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. How does he know that? Verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He's clarifying, he's even beginning a, a, a God interaction with them. Verse 24, and he said, uh, this, this angel of, of God said, uh, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Kind of reconfirming this. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I'm telling you, friends, that is an action of faith. That is a grab a hold of what God has said and who God is and drilling that down into the ground and he's anchoring himself to that. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, even like, oh God, are, do you really, are you sure? Like, like Lord, I actually think that's a bad idea. And acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. I don't define the result, but I know God in his sovereignty has something he is doing in this. Verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, that's not the whole trip, that was from uh, shortly off of Crete uh, with this. Uh, 14th night had, night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight. The sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and went and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. 
By the way, as a former kind of R&D guy, those people were amazing back then. No GPS, but the stuff they were able to do is crazy. Verse 29, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Imagine that. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you, take some food, for it will, be get, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. By the way, this was not a communion moment. This is a ministering to people who don't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ opportunity. And he's strengthening them and even caring for them. Verse 36, then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all, in all, 276 persons in the ship. By the way, if you look at the bottom of your Bible there, most likely, you'll see a note there. There are a few manuscripts that have a variant in them where, is it 276 or 76? I'm just going to say you, it absolutely has nothing to do with the change in the understanding. I'm even stunned if there's 76 people on the boat. You know, we think back in that day that people were kind of lunkheads or, you know, bless their heart, kind of stupid. They were amazing And here are these ships built out of wood that they've got. Let's just even say it was 76 people on this boat. That's a lot of people on a boat, right? This is no canoe, but this is also no carnival cruise line. And yet, it's an ancient boat with piles of people, potentially almost 300 people on this thing. It's crazy, amazing. Verse 38, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship by throwing out the weed into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow uh, stuck and remained immovable. That's a problem. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. That's a problem. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, God's favor, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land Uh, uh, chapter 28 verse 1 after we were brought safely through we then learned that the island was called Malta that's a lot of ups and downs turns and corners and loopy loops Um, what normally was a ride that would have taken weeks maybe a month has taken probably a couple months of time. This is 
a trip that has taken probably two to three to four times as long as it normally would have. And in that, it has dangers, it has difficulties, it has delays. And I ask the question, why would a sovereign God not fast pass Paul to Rome? I mean, isn't God anxious to be able to get the good news of Jesus Christ in front of Caesar and his court to be able to hear the good news? I mean, isn't God in a rush? And by the way, look at the Old Testament and the answer is no, God is not in a rush. But doesn't God care? Oh yes, look at the Old Testament, God cares. And yet, what's God doing then? Doug, why is it that God made them go on a crazy roller coaster route and not a straight line? Here's my answer. I don't know. I'm serious with you. I don't know. I have been through this text digging and looking and reading and commentators trying to find out what's the reason for it. You know, there are various ones who take this and allegorize everything and make it all into this stuff that it's not, hey, listen, here's what the story is about. He left Caesarea, he ended up in Malta, and it was a crazy, crazy ride. That's what it's about. So why would God take a page and a half or page and a quarter of his word to tell us that? Wouldn't God want to put in there that this is why he did this? I don't know why. Well, you didn't study enough. Maybe. Faith requires not knowing everything. If you and I knew everything, there would be no need for faith. But I want to know. I know. Oh, I know. I do too. But faith is about believing in the word of God, in the person of God, and acting upon who he is, acting upon what he says, even when I'm like in the Psalms. Do you know what you're doing? Do you not see me in what's happening here? And acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God, if I could say it this way, that God has sovereign purposes in it in ways of which I do not know. By the way, a couple verses just to bring in mind with this, Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Psalm 115.3, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. By the way, that verse right there, it presses you on your understanding of who God is. Because when a verse like that says, yeah, but that's not fair. That right there begins revealing in us our lack of real understanding in who God is. A couple more verses. Proverbs 69. The heart of man plans his way. I have calendar for next week and the week after and the weeks after. But the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21. Many plans are in a man's heart. What are you doing for Christmas? Many plans 
are in the heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Isaiah 14, 24, as I have purposed, so it will be. As I have planned it, so it will happen. But I want to know. But that's not fair. See, those are the honest realities of what you and I experience every day. Am I right? Like, we're just one of the things right now, I'm just so tired of everybody feeling like they, and acting like they have their act together. We're a place that we don't have our act together. We're trying to grow in faith. We're trying to understand what it is in every day. And when things come along, and when we hit a loop-de-loop, or we hit a free fall, or we hit a G-force turn, those are the times that we're like, what, God, are you doing? Right? In fact, that moment just reminded me we were in uh, um, Cedar Point on a roller coaster. This is not my notes. Cedar Point on a roller coaster. And uh, we got to the end of the roller coaster. And I'm like, my mouth was so dry. I'm like, what happened? And then you come out and you, you look at the picture, you know, they take. And I'm like. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's why. Okay, back to the text. But that's just what we are sometimes. It's hard to live by faith, friends. Amen? It's hard to live by faith. So why is that? Why do we struggle to be a people living by faith under a sovereign, awesome God? Why do we struggle with that? I say this. It's because we have a seeing problem. We have a seeing problem. I want to give you just two things here. I don't have them on the slides, but I just want to give you two seeing issues that we have. Number one, we struggle to live by faith because we struggle to see our big God. We struggle to see our big God. I'm not going to go into that one this morning, and the reason is this is because actually beginning in June or January, we're going to spend five months on this. We're going to be going in from January through May and doing a whole series. The subtitle of that series is Grasping His Greatness. So we're going to try and spend some time understanding the greatness of our God in increased ways. Because to be a people living by faith, we have to have a very high view of who God is. So we're going to be growing in that, but that's one of them. I'll just put that on the table. Secondly, this is one I just want to dive into a little bit. Because we struggle to see the big picture. Because we struggle to see the big picture. We often forget our big God and we forget the big picture. We get lost in the weeds of life. I do. You do. So let me do this just for a couple minutes. I want to take you on a couple minute run on the big picture. Here we go. Number one, there is a God. In fact, there is a Godhead. Understand from the scriptures that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, as the scripture makes reference to. A triune Godhead that existed in eternity past from the very beginning of time, which we can't even, can't even fathom what eternity past would be. There is a God. Secondly, that Godhead created us in our universe. 
Everything that we see, everything that we behold, Genesis chapter 1, didn't just happen. It, it was created by a God that existed, a Godhead that existed. And, and in that, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that there is even something unique with mankind that is unlike anything else created in all of creation, that we have been created in this term, the image of God. There is a God, and that Godhead has created our universe and us. But then, verse or number three, sin entered the big picture. And sin brought death and destruction and chaos and separation. And you may go, well, why did God allow that? It's another conversation, but that's a great question. Have you dug into that? Because God did allow that. He was not surprised by that. Yet why would God do that? Great questions. I don't even know if I can fully answer it, but know this. Faith is believing the word, the person of God, and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Sin came in, and yet in God's grace, he didn't just go, <laughs> and make it all go away. Yet in God's grace, in Genesis chapter 3, he said he would send one who would deal Satan a lethal blow. Know this. One day, this war that we do live in right now, it will end. By the way, I'm just going to note on that, um, it's hard for second service, but uh, just so you're aware, on Moody 97.9, we have a, uh, from 9.30 to 10 a.m., we do a sermon series from here. They've been so gracious in allowing us to do that last year or two, and our son Luke has been condensing right now. We're doing all of our Revelation series from a few years ago is on that, and that's something if you want to go and grab a hold of and listen to. That's something just as far as what's going ahead. Listen, friends, God is taking all of this mess somewhere. And if you know Christ is your Savior, it's all headed somewhere really good. If you don't know Christ is your Savior out of love for you and respect for you, I just want to say this, according to the Bible, uh, might I encourage you to consider what the Lord has done because you are walking off a cliff into eternity. And that would be the last thing that I or anyone in here would want to have happen. But there is a means that God has provided for us to redeem ourselves or be redeemed as a sin-cursed people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him. By the way, that's just not a knowledge of knowing about. But whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there is all the hope of eternity. But right now it's hard. But do know this, eternity is coming. The Lord is coming. And for those of us who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we're called to live by faith now. As last week, as servants, as attendants, and witnesses of Christ, 
We're broken but redeemed people faithfully uh, seeking to love God and love others. That's what's going on now. All for his glory. This is not the end of the story, friends. We come into a Christmas season. It should remind us above all things that all the gifts we give, there is a gift that is grander than any other little goofball gift we could ever receive that is above and beyond all imaginable gifts on the entire earth and in all of the universe. The second person of the Trinity put his boots on the ground to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. For all who know them as their Savior, friends, it's hard here. It is hard here. We live in a war zone. But eternity's coming. And I'm kind of like, can we just straight line it? Can we just like, in fact, now would be good. It would really be good. But God in his sovereignty has other plans. So let's go back to the image of the straight line and the roller coaster run reality. The Lord tells Paul in Acts 23, I'm going to take you to Rome. Paul, I would be thinking, straight line, smooth sailing. But God took Paul up and over and down and around, off straight line course, through storms, through dangers, through difficulties, through life-threatening situations, through lengths of time without the sun or the stars, through times where we could not even eat. And I go, seriously, God, what are you trying to do and why? And I leave the chapter and I go, I don't know why. But faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Listen, someone does have a purpose for it. We think that life should happen in straight lines. They're quick, they're easy, they're efficient. God would not allow gale force winds. Be careful. Because that often leads into the thinking that if life happens and should happen in straight line, then good things are from God good things as we would define them. And bad things are from Satan. Be careful, I would press into you, that's bad theology. Because if that's the case, then God is never sovereignly in full control. Parents, you know, there are times where your children come to you and they just want you to take care of the whole thing, smooth it all up, clean it all up, give them the answer, tell them how to spell the word and not go to the dictionary. Man, I used to hate that when I asked my mom and she would say, go to the dictionary. But what's happening? As a parent, you know that they need to wrestle through some things so that they would grow, so that they would mature, so that they would understand life. Because the the child that just gets everything easy and comfortable, frankly, they need no trust. They need no faith. They're a grow up to be a brat. But God, in his sovereign purposes, is shaping and forming you and me to grow into maturity in Christ and pressing us and pushing us 
And then sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I don't understand why. Sometimes you and I, we don't like it at all. But there is a God, and He is in sovereign control. And He loves you. In fact, He loves you enough that He will press into you and I that we would mature in coming to Christ and mature as faith followers of Christ. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon that even when I'm screaming. Knowing that God promises a good result and I will let him define the result. And I may never even know that answer until I see him face to face. Lord, we need your help. We're weak. We are in need of your strength. You are a strong. You are a mighty God. You are a sovereign God. Lord, the very essence of this whole conversation this morning comes down to a core a uh, thing within us of, of trying to understand life and what's going on and our wrestling with life and frankly, are even wrestling with you in it. God, we fully admit here on the table, there's a lot of things that you sovereignly allow and have allowed and will allow in our lives that we don't appreciate, that we don't like. And in fact, frankly, we even curse back at you for it. And God, in our finite minds, we don't fully understand your purposes, and yet you see it all. And, and God, I don't want for this just to be a, a kind of a, a wimpy response to the whole thing of just hang on. But no, 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 it, it is hang on, but it's hang on to you. We don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon, but you do. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but you do. We don't know what's going to happen this month, but you do. And God, you are conforming us and growing us to come to know Christ as our Savior and to grow in Christ as our Savior. And God, we need your help. Oh, we need your help. Right, church? We need your help, Lord, and so we cry out for that. Help us to hang on to you, eyes on you. In Christ's name, amen.